one of the most interesting threads that you'll find in all scripture, interwoven throughout its pages, is the fact that we have a speaking God. Page one, Genesis chapter one, he's speaking the creation into existence. He's speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai through a bush that's burning but not consumed, telling him that he will be the one to lead the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And yet on that same mountain, just a a little while later, he meets that same Moses and gives him the law that would guide Israel's relationship with God. He speaks to judges and prophets, proclaiming his judgment of sin and his faithfulness to the righteous. He speaks to kings, commanding their ways and condemning their greed. He speaks to widows and orphans, promising sure hope amid deep despair. He speaks to young and old, guiding their steps and bringing purpose to their days. He speaks to men and to women, calling all to give him glory. He speaks creation into existence, freedom to the captive, healing to the hurting, wisdom to the listening, comfort to the suffering, justice to the oppressed, judgment to the oppressor, wrath to the sinner, cursing to the unjust. When God speaks, the whole world is changed. Look at the words of the psalmist in Psalm 29. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry glory. Were it not for the voice of God, this world as we know it would fall apart. Even the Bible itself is God's voice, just in print. A.W. Tozer put it this way, God did not write a book and send it by messengers to be read at a distance by unaided minds. He spoke a book and lives in his spoken words, constantly speaking his words and causing the power of them to persist across the years. If God, if God were to stop speaking, if he were to be silent, it would be our undoing. But sometimes it sure feels like God is silent, doesn't it? Ever been there? Prayer becomes like a phone call where you talk and you ask a question and they don't answer. Silence on the other end. Decisions become muddled and clouded in a mist of confusion. Diagnoses get worse and worse despite agonizing hours on your knees pleading with God. The speaking God seems to have nothing to say to you. David 
It must have been in one of those times when he wrote Psalm 109. That's where we'll be this morning. You can turn in your Bibles with me there. We don't know the exact circumstances, uh, but we do know he faced dark days. His enemies were poised to overcome him. His friends had turned their back on him. And even the speaking God seems to stand aloof and have nothing to say to his weary soul. Ever been there? You know, sometimes we know in our heads that God has promised good things. We see them on the bookmarks of our Bible. We read them in the devotion book we read last week. We, we see them hanging on a, on, a, on a picture frame on our wall. We go into Hobby Lobby and there's thousands of items with those same promises, just in different fonts and colors. But still, we can't hear him. And that silence breaks us. It makes us yearn for his voice. It makes us cry out desperately, along with David. Be not silent, O God of my praise. We beg God for his voice. His word to resound against the wicked. It's, it's that same voice Habakkuk was pleading for. He's looking around at his people, the people of Israel, and they are going crazy with evil. They're committing idolatry. They're oppressing the poor. They're doing all sorts of wickedness before God. And Habakkuk the prophet asked God, when are you going to punish the evildoer? And he says, don't worry, I'm going to punish him. I'm sending the Chaldeans. And Habakkuk says, they're even worse. <laughs> what do you mean the Chaldeans? At least this is your people. At least there's some modicum of decency here. They've got none. He says this, verse 13 of Habakkuk 1. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? How can you be silent when the wicked are prospering? That's one of those questions that cuts deep, doesn't it? Look at how David's enemies are treating him. Psalm 109, verses 2 through 5. For the wicked and deceitful mouths are opened against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. They encircle me with words of hate and attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. So they reward me evil for good and hatred for my love. The enemies of David here are not silent. Listen to the speaking words. Wicked and deceitful mouths are opened against me. They speak against him with lying tongues. They encircle him with words of hate. They accuse him. In fact, that, that word for accuse in verse 4, we have a word that comes from that. It's actually a name. Satan. They are Sataning him. Worse yet, these aren't just faraway enemies. They live in the same house. They live in the same neighborhood. They work at the same places of work. They go to the same schools, shop at the same grocery stores. These are people that love has been extended to. 
Sometimes the worst enemies are the ones you love the most. You ever been there? Why is God silent when we see nothing but hatred from those to whom we give love? We go out of our way to show them kindness and they ignore us or worse yet, revile us. We bend over backwards to make them food and they throw it on the ground and say it's disgusting. We work hard to do things that they like. Spend our time and our energy trying to make things good for them. And they treat us like dirt anyway. We show them such intense love and they give nothing back but intense hatred. Why is God silent? What would God say when deep, genuine affection is met with utter disdain and malice? I know what he would say. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You know, Jesus wasn't just bearing the sins of humanity on that cross. He was bearing the hatred of humanity, too. Look, even while he's saying that, they're gambling for his clothes. He bore our contempt and our hatred for God. God loved us so much, and we hated him in return. You see, God's not silent in cases like that. Jesus only says seven things from the time that he is arrested to the time that he dies. He's not speaking much, but boy, boy, what he says. Father, forgive them. In spite of our hatred, in spite of our wickedness, Jesus asked the Father to reconcile us to himself. Even when we were Satan's, he was seeking our becoming saints. Sometimes we don't hear God's voice, but it doesn't mean he's not speaking. Verses 6 to 19 is really tempting to skip over. One of the most difficult parts of my job is to recognize when the word of God is difficult that I can't just bypass it. This is where the psalm turns from just a lament, a prayer to God uh, of asking God for help to an imprecation. He asks God for vengeance. Now, he doesn't ask God for himself to have vengeance. He asks God for himself to have vengeance. But some of it is just, there's no way around it. It's harsh. It sounds incredibly cruel. Verse 6, appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. In a trial, your defense attorney stands at your right side in this culture. He's saying, don't even let the defense attorney be against this guy. Don't even let him have a fair representation in a trial. When he is tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. Verse 9, it gets worse. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. Verse 12, let there be none to extend chesed to him. That covenant, steadfast love of God. He says, don't let anybody extend that to him, nor any to pity his fatherless children. Verse 14, may the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord and let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. 
Don't even forgive his family. Now that sounds mean. And that sounds cruel. How can you pray something like that? I'm sure. Sometimes we get into a mode where we think we have to be nicer than God is. And we think we have to just be sweet and kind all the time. And we don't take seriously sin. This sounds harsh. But what David is actually praying here is, God, this is the judgment that you've declared against him. Remember, who is writing Scripture? David's got the pen in his hand, but who is directing the author? The author. All Scripture is God-breathed. The fact that we have this in his book tells me that God wants this prayer because God has determined that this person is beyond reconciliation. He has refused it. It would be like us saying that somebody who rapes a small child ought to be hung by his toenails. It's the same thing as us saying that cruel acts of murder should be punished without any prejudice whatsoever to the feelings and the pain felt by the recipient. It's the same way we say that someone has committed such egregious wrong that they deserve to be punished in the worst possible way. We're not calling for them to suffer so much as we're calling for justice to be done. That's what David is praying here. God, do your justice. And it sounds harsh. I'm not recommending you pray this against your enemies. You better be led by the Holy Spirit if you're praying words like these. And remember, this is someone that David loves, but that hate him in return. There is a time when our prayer needs to be turned from God, don't do anything to hurt them. Give them another chance to God the only way that they could possibly return to you is to experience your punishment for their sin. After praying that prayer, David turns back to God. Verse 21, but you, he's been thinking about all of the evil that these enemies have been doing to him. One in particular, it seems. Maybe just one kind of is the ringleader and, and everybody else is following their lead. Maybe there's one in particular in this season of life that is really heavy on him. I don't know. I don't know the circumstance, but he turns from them to looking at God. He says, but you, oh God, my Lord, deal on my behalf for your name's sake. Because your chesed is good, deliver me. For I am poor and needy. My heart is stricken within me. I'm gone like a shadow at evening. I'm shaken off like a locust. My knees are weak through fasting. My body has become gaunt with no fat. I'm an object of scorn to my accusers. When they see me, they wag their heads. David is praying for deliverance and he recognizes there's nothing he can do. He says, I'm poor. I'm needy. God, save me. And don't save me for me. Save me for your name's sake. He says, my heart is stricken. It's the same word used in Isaiah 53, 5, when it says that he was pierced for our transgressions. That's the same word here. I'm pierced. I'm a lengthening shadow. You know, at the end of the day, when the sun is low, the shadows get long. He says, I'm, I'm, the day's about over for me. 
It's just only a matter of time before that sun finally sets. I'm shaking off like a locust. You, you, you get a bug on you, and you just kind of shake, and it flies off. I feel like I've just been shaking off. My knees are weak, he says. I have no fat. Some of us might wish to pray that prayer. Please, Lord, give me no fat. But he means he's starving. This is one of those cases where it doesn't, doesn't seem like a curse, but it is. Here's another one in one of the prophets where the prophet says, may their teeth be clean. And what he means is they don't have food to eat. I'm scorned. Interestingly enough, Matthew gives the account of Jesus put on the cross and he says that there's, a, there's criminals on either side of him, one on his left and one on his right. And do you know what Matthew tells us about the people who are walking by? They look at him and they wag their heads saying he saved others. Why can't he save himself? David said, that's what my enemies are doing to me. They're wagging their heads. This is sad. He's trusted in God. Where's God for him now? He says he relies on God's word, but God ain't speaking to him. I think it's something for us to take note of. When God seems silent, we are wise to recognize just how much we need him. Sometimes we forget in his silence or his silence. Sometimes we forget just how dependent we are. In fact, sometimes the reason we don't hear him is because we haven't been listening for him. That dependence on God, that yearning for his presence is what makes us sit on the edge of our seats and lean in closer and listen all the more carefully. You know, he doesn't always speak loud. Sometimes it's a still, small voice. It's that thirst for God as the deer pants for the water. So my soul longs for you, O God. That thirst for God that bids us to perk up our ears and pay close attention so that we can hear the voice of our good shepherd. And David's not just asking for God's voice. Because just to hear a word, just to be comforted by a nice, comfortable thought, just to be inspired isn't enough. He wants to see God's glory too. Help me, verse 26. Oh Lord, my God, save me according to your chesed. Have you noticed that? I keep pointing out that word. David recognizes this is the character of God. So God, just do what you do. You do you, God. You do what you do. You just be who you are. He says, let them know that this is your hand. You, O oh Lord, have done it. Don't give me credit. Don't let people think that I'm awesome. Don't let people think that I've saved myself by my own hand. God, you get the glory because I can't. I can't. There's nothing I can do about it. Let them curse, but you will bless. They arise and are put to shame, but your servant will be glad. May my accusers be clothed with dishonor. May they be wrapped up in their own shame as a cloak. You know, the enemies of God are trying to glorify themselves. They arise. They don't stay arisen. They fall. When we recognize that we are completely dependent on God, we'll also recognize that we cannot retain one ounce of the glory. Because it's not us. It's Him. 
Maybe we ought to take note of that. Maybe the reason God has been quiet is because you have been self-centered. Maybe it's time to recognize your dependence on God and let him have the glory and just merely seek his will. I mean, after all, didn't Jesus say something like, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you? Something else to point out here. God's silence never detracts from his glory. In fact, it heightens his glory. When God seems to be silent, his apparent lack of speech is deafening. And in those moments that God's voice is not audible, he is still speaking. And many times, it's the voice of our praise to God that makes his voice easier to hear. That's why David ends this song with a praise. Verse 30. With my mouth, I will give great thanks to the Lord. I will praise him in the midst of the throng. He's going, he's going to the worship center to declare God's praise. He wants everybody to know about it. I don't know anybody like that. Do you all know anybody like that that just stands up and just says what God has done in the midst of the congregation? I don't know anybody like that. I'm joking, of course. There is something special about standing and, and praising God before, before your church, before your family, before your coworkers. There's something just sometimes, sometimes there's nothing else to do. For he stands at the right hand of the needy one. You see, the enemy, even his defense attorney should be against him. But for the righteous one, for the one, for the one who knows his need, it's God taking up his defense. And I'm going to tell you something. There might be, there might be several good lawyers in this world. I, I, I know the defense attorney I want to save him from those who condemn his soul to death. You know, it's just when we fear God is silent at our hour of greatest need. That's when he stands to speak for us. Father, remind us that you are the speaking God and you are not silent. Some of us are going through dark days. Some of us are going through very difficult situations. It might be situations at work. It might be problems at home. There might be issues going on with our extended family or... or in our community that have us all wrapped up in, in a bunch, all, all anxious and worried and scared. There are situations that we can all point to. Some of them have been past, and we remember the feelings. Some of them, we're living through them right now. Some of them we know are coming, and seems like seems like the closer they get, the worse they're going to be. Father, we, may you remind us in those days that you're not silent. And may we hear your voice all the more clearly. Even in those times where it's hard to hear you at all. Be not silent, O God of our praise. Speak, for your servants are listening. In this time, you speak to our hearts. Guide us in the way that you would have us go. We may follow you. If that's to accept Christ as Lord and Savior, Father, I pray 
pray that whoever that might be will experience your love and your forgiveness for the first time. Father, if it's for someone to take the next step of faithfulness, maybe to join this church, maybe to maybe to do something that you're calling them to do that they've been scared of or, or trepidatious about, or maybe they've tried it before and it didn't work out so well, and God, you're just calling them to get back on the horse, to keep working. Father, it might be someone that's being faithful that feels like you're quiet and, and, and they, just need to, they just need to hear you. Lord, would you speak so clearly today that we'll know it's you? Would you guide our steps and help us follow your ways in this time of invitation? Be not silent, O oh God, because we need your voice. Speak to us now. In Christ's name.